With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe-Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lock-away channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. It is almost my favorite day of the year, Election Day, our last chance to vote in what's being called the most important election of our lifetime. Today, I'm talking with two of my closest friends, Jess Morales-Raquetto and Stephanie Valencia, about what's at stake and how our country would change if Latinas showed up to vote in full force. They have a dozen political jobs between them, so I'm going to skip the formal bios. I invited them together because they're co-founders of She Se Puede, a new movement to politically activate incredible Latinas like all of you. There's so much at stake in this election, and it's hard to really kind of boil it down because I think everybody has their own thing that is at stake in this election. You know, some of us have friends or family who are at risk for deportation. If another four years of Donald Trump will mean another four years living in extreme fear and paranoia. For some people, it is about health care and access to healthcare and pre-existing conditions and making sure that we don't have to worry about, you know, the doctor that we go to or going into debt uh, because of, you know, an emergency, a health emergency or putting off a doctor's visit. It is about the economy and it is about coming out of COVID and how we respond to the both health emergency of COVID, but the economic emergency of COVID that has disproportionately affected our community. But this truly is their like lives on the line on this election. And we are determining whether or not a racist nationalist who has from day one of his campaign singled out Latinos and Latinas as other and as people who we should fear, not embrace. That is what we are deciding this election, whether or not 
we are going to choose a leader who will bring this country back together or whether we will continue to divide and deflect and blame. But this is a time where we are at a pivotal moment. I think we will all remember where we were, not just this election, but this period of time when we survive it and we look back and we're building the country that we want. Jess, there's this concept in urban planning, which is uh, about resilience, that when you have something like a hurricane or an earthquake that decimates a city, that the old school model used to be to just build things back to the way they were pre-earthquake, pre-hurricane, but that really in as much as there can be a tragedy, there can be an opportunity to rebuild things to be bigger and better and more resilient than they were before, an opportunity for reimagination. What would that look like? I think it would look like a place, I always say that it's a place where everyone can make mistakes. Right now you have a world in which only some people can make mistakes. Latinos certainly cannot make mistakes. Black people cannot make mistakes. And I will know that we have completely reimagined a world where everybody has opportunity, everybody has equal treatment when we can not worry about being the best or the first or the only because there's so many of us who have had the opportunity to realize our dreams and then also like fail. You know, you never hear stories about like Latino failure (laughs) because we are not allowed to fail. We have to be totally exceptional to get what is available to, you know, a lot of people in this country just by being born, just by the virtue of their existence. So when I think about how do we get to a place where we're allowed to make mistakes, it's a a place where we recognize that all work is valued. And the way that we show that value is by making sure it's like paid a minimum wage and people have time off and people have the ability to seek the care that they want. It also means really thinking about the ways in which each of us has the responsibility to make sure that we're trying to leave the world better than we found it. I think that what we've seen in the context of the pandemic is that our individual decisions we make about our behaviors ripple out and affect so many other people. And so I really believe that if we lived in a world where we thought about how our behaviors affected other people, how our policies affected other people, and tried to make sure that we were doing the least amount of harm and enacting the most amount of good, that would lead to a more equitable system that valued care, which I think is just like the most, most important thing, but also really valued an equality of expression. Honestly, I feel like if this time has shown us anything, it's that these systems aren't working for literally anyone. And if we don't reimagine those things, we may not have the kind of country, but also planet, literally the planet that we want and need and and deserve. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. 
There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. Having a diaper you can depend on is important, and it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the ball is filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh, boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer, M&M's for all fun kind. Stephanie, when you look at Latinas, just the numbers, what is the power of us as a voting bloc? So this year, in 2020, the broader Latino electorate, 32 million of us will be eligible to vote, making us the largest minority group in the country who can vote. That being said, Latinas specifically represent some of the largest and most fastest growing parts of the electorate in some of the most critical battleground states. So when you look at the Latino electorate in, say, a place like Florida or North Carolina, Latinas, and specifically Latinas under 50, represent the largest share of the electorate in those states, which just makes us really powerful deciders for this election. And we're not getting smaller. We are driving population growth in this country. U.S.-born Latinos and immigrant populations are driving the population growth of this country. And so the number 32 million eligible Latino voters, our overall numbers in the country are closer to 60 million. And so we're continuing to grow in this country. And so now is the time for us to really understand how we tap into and realize that power. And I truly believe that Latinas will decide in 2020 who is sitting at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. That's a lot you just threw at us, Steph. <laughs> it is. I can barely and remember is. my phone number, so I'm not sure how you have those numbers committed to memory. Jess, if Latinas came out to vote the way that other groups come out to vote, what would that mean for American democracy? I think the individual act of voting is really important. Like, it matters that you go and exercise your vote. The second part of this, though, is that if we voted as a block, the issues that matter to us, the economy, immigration, minimum wage, those things would also have to matter to the elected officials that we elected. And that is a really big deal because it means that if you ever wonder, like, does this affect my life? 
yes, it does. But if you're not seeing the effects of that, it's in part because there is not a clear mandate for our issues. There's not the pressure that we have as citizens and, and frankly, people who are exercising our rights for those who are not citizens as well to make sure that we are representing those interests. And that's also what we're doing when we go and vote. We're saying, I believe in this candidate, but we're also saying, I believe in this issue. I believe that what I care about and what makes a difference in my life deserves a vote in Congress, a bill put forward, a new policy. If we can understand that our individual vote makes a difference and also our votes collectively as a block of people, as Latinos make a difference, all the things we hear about how black women are the backbone of the Democratic Party, how white working class voters need to be persuaded, how suburban moms really matter in this election. You could additionally hear about Latinas, single moms who are in community college being the people who are deciding this election. And I think our country would change if those look me. Civics, democracy is making Yorona, Ayorona. <laughs> wouldn't be a, wouldn't be an episode if someone didn't what cry. What do we do here? And I do like I. I mean, part of why I'm crying is that it's like that is who decided who led our country and what policies mattered, and the country would be better. It would affect our lives, and like that's what all of this is supposed to be about. All of it. I think part of the reason that this makes me and Justin, you emotional, is that there's both the the change that could grow out of this, but there's also frustration with the fact that we have gotten the message that you need to have a PhD in order to be able to vote. That somehow the fact that we make all the decisions inside our families is not enough. How do you get around the sense that that, that, that you need to be a political scientist to go to the polls? Yeah, I have a cousin here in New Mexico, and she has told me for a very long time that she thinks that voting and that like politics is my job, not hers, and that she thinks that it's too complicated. And Stephanie, that's what you do. It's not what I do. And the point I always try to make to her is like, your voice is more important than mine. (laughs) Like you are dealing with issues on the front lines of COVID on the front lines of, you know, the healthcare crisis in this country every single day and seeing where the system is broken, you need to be voting. And so it's just always likes to point out when we, when we talk about this, voting is hard, like democracy is hard, but if we show up and the people who's uh, should be deciding what the government and the future of this country look like are actually participating and helping to determine who is sitting in Congress, who is sitting in the White House, and who is making those really important decisions about access to college, health care, and who gets access to it, who gets access to birth control. Like, if those are the people who are participating and deciding, we have all we need. Like, you do not need an advanced degree to participate in politics. And one of the benefits of 2020, for all of the hot mess that it has been, is voting by mail is actually a huge opportunity for people to take their time and to actually do their research and to feel more prepared. You know, Latinas don't turn out at the same levels as non-Hispanic, Black, or white women. In fact, we turn out anywhere between 10 to 15 points 
lower than both of those subgroups. And so one of the reasons that we don't turn out at those same rates is because we don't feel prepared and we don't want to mess up. So we're talking about Latinas because this is a Latina podcast, but I want to talk about Latinos. Because one of the things that you, Stephanie, have found in your research, and I should say Stephanie and my husband are work siblings, I would like to also say that Stephanie introduced me to my husband, and so I am forever in her debt for that introduction. Thank you, Stephanie. But it means that I hear about this nonstop in my house, Stephanie, which is that, listen, there, there was a freak out at some point around the Latino vote. And and part of what my husband Carlos and you always try to remind people is, you know, part of that freak out is because there was an expectation that Joe Biden was going to have this in a runaway. And that really what has happened is that as in past elections, you see a quarter to a third of the national Latino vote going to the Republican candidate. And so this is what would be a quote unquote normal election. These are the numbers that you're seeing coming from a Republican, especially a Republican incumbent candidate. But of the numbers that you're seeing, part of what interests me is that gender divide, that as fired up as the women in our community are against Donald Trump, there's some softness among men. And I wonder for someone who's having this conversation with their boyfriend, with their husband, with their dad, what it is about Donald Trump that is appealing to men in our community. Yeah, well, the gender divide, as you pointed out, is one of the biggest findings that we have found in our research. We've interviewed close to 40,000 Latino voters across uh, 11 different battleground states over the last year. And one of the things that has emerged and stayed completely consistent is the gap between where Latinas are and where their Latino counterparts are as with regard to Trump. And Latinas are deeply, deeply anti-Trump. It's almost like they can't get any more anti-Trump. Whereas men, you know, I like to say they have Trump intrigue in certain pockets. They're Trump intrigue. And then especially in states like Arizona and Nevada and even in New Mexico, you see an interest and you see kind of an infatuation with Trump and maybe his cult of personality, the status of the economy like pre-coronavirus, even though many of these men weren't actually experiencing better like economic situation in their own personal lives, they still think the fact that they see Trump as this quote unquote, successful businessman and somebody who like takes on, you know, all these different interests and just says it how it is. Like there's something in an appeal to that they really enjoy. And so I do think that like for progressives and more broadly Democrats, like they have to figure out how to talk to these younger Hispanic men, because I think whether Trump is in office or not, there is something that is not reaching them and not really speaking to them about kind of where progressives and Democrats are. But as it relates to Latino men in this election and their behavior, I will say that while they are intrigued by Trump, they aren't yet ready to go vote for him. And in a place like Arizona, in one of our last polls, we saw upwards of 40% of Latino men who said they, quote unquote, supported Trump. But when you asked, will you actually go and vote for him? That number dropped to closer to like 25%. And so there's a softness. It's like that they're interested, but they can't quite stomach going to vote for him. The whole like making us feel like we need a PhD to vote, all of the like Latino support Trump stuff. Like I do feel like a lot of that is drummed up by kind of like conventional political wisdom and the people who peddle in that to make it feel like one, 
you don't know enough. You're not American enough. You're not smart enough to vote. You have to educate yourself more because you couldn't possibly have all of the information that you need because you're not well educated. Your families aren't the right type of families, right? It's all about othering us. And then I think that second piece is about creating a place to blame us, like just to be totally honest. Because the question that that begs, which I think is is somewhat fair, is like under all of the things that Trump has done to Latino community, especially around immigration, which is what they think is the only thing that we care about, how could they even consider voting for Donald Trump? Nobody is asking that of white women who are voting against their own self-interest. Nobody is asking that of suburban, you know, kind of Republican swing voters. Nobody is asking that of white working class men whose factories have been closed because of Trump's policies. And that's because they're allowed to vote however they want. They have enough information. They have enough history here. They're, it's completely fine. But for us, it's like, how dare they? And all of that is a, is frankly about questioning like our Americanness and our ability to participate in this democracy. So I actually just think that like that concern trolling needs to be like dismissed completely out of hand. Yes, some people may who are Latino will vote for Donald Trump, just like half of the country. The majority of Latinos are not voting for Donald Trump and are not even Trump curious. Part of what I want to say to other Latinas is don't let anybody tell you that you need to know something else or you're not worthy or you might make the wrong choice. Like you will make the right choice because you know about your experiences. And if you think that there are people in your family or community who are going to make a choice that doesn't live up to our values, it is on all of us to have that conversation with them because Actually, all that stuff doesn't really matter. We're the people who can be the most persuadable to our uncles, our abuelos, our dads who are like, I'm into that Trump guy because he's a good businessman. And part of what you're also identifying, either of you can take this with these numbers, is these questions around whether or not there is a common identity here and whether there's a common identity both socioculturally and socio-politically, with one clearly more in focus at this moment, staff, than, than the other? Yeah, I think this is the question of the next decade, Alicia, which is how do we as Latinos relate to each other and create a collective identity, both as a community, but also politically? Is that possible? And how does our individual Latinidad contribute to how we participate in politics. And I think this is a question of a decade because we are a very uh, diverse community. We do not share one country of origin. We do not share one kind of common immigrant experience. We don't share a race. Um, not all of us speak Spanish. Like, you know, the, we, so there, there are just so many things that make us different And as we grow rapidly, you know, we're going to be intermarrying outside of, you know, the Latino community, which means like, you know, my half Latino, half white, you know, nieces and nephews 
how do they relate to their Latino identity and how that plays into politics? Like, what does that actually mean for them? And how do we continue to build a strong political identity as Latinos, like moving forward so we can actually build power? Well, I think we're really honestly at the beginning of figuring out what does it mean to have a Latino politic, if if that does mean anything, and how do we do that in a way that really honors those people who are participating in our democracy, even though they're not afforded the rights to citizenship. You guys talked a little bit about down-ballot races, and I want to acknowledge I am super into this stuff, and even I sometimes end up in the voting booth with my ballot and being like, wait, what is this? Walk me through some of the mechanics beyond that top of the ticket, beyond who's who's running for president, how you think about the rest of those choices. I mean, Google really becomes your friend. I find myself sometimes standing in line, you know, while I'm waiting to vote. And one, you know, there's like a judicial nomination, like in my local district court or whatever. And it's like, who am I supposed to be voting for here? I don't know these people. And so I'm Googling and trying to understand who they are. Um, so I think like that, that is one. There are lots of different great resources like ballotready.org, you know, vote.org. They have really good materials down to your kind of local level that you can like personalize a ballot and understand just even what is the structure of the ballot going to look like before you walk in the door? Because I think half of that is like, I don't know what I'm going to vote for before I go in to vote. And so just even knowing who is on the ballot and what I'm voting on um, and wrapping my head around that. And, and then oftentimes you can print something out and take it with you into the actual, if you end up going in person, you can take a piece of paper in there with you if you want. I mean, can I be honest? Like, I don't, I often do not know everybody that I'm voting for. Like, here's how I do it. I'll just be like 100% real. I work really hard to understand what groups do I trust their kind of like political assessment. And I think that does actually really matter because those folks have done all the work to like research this person's voting record and where they stand on stuff. So I go and look at like what people who are aligned with my politics think. So you know, if I've heard that a race is really big on the environment, well, then I want to go see what, you know, the Sierra Club and Sunrise Movement and all those people have said. And if I've heard that, like, you know, the minimum wage is really important, then it's like, okay, we'll have the unions endorse this person. And I need that shortcut because I just don't, I haven't researched everybody. I move around a lot, so I'm not always connected to, like, the local community where I'm voting. And I want to make sure that I'm representing those interests, like, fully. So when Steph and I say that you have everything you need to make the decisions, part of what we're saying is like, it's okay not to know. There's so much on the ballot. There's so much going on. Make sure you know what you care about because that can help you figure out how to make a decision quickly in those instances where you're voting for someone that you don't quite understand. And look at those endorsements because in theory, those are shortcuts to understanding who shares your values and then, you know, when all else fails, like, try hard to follow your gut and get a little bit of information. There is a good chance, stuff that we don't know the results of this election on election night. So what then are we buckling up and waiting for? Yeah, we should all be prepared not to know on election night. And we should be prepared that there could be a very different outcome on those who vote on election day versus those who vote by mail. And it is going to take some time 
to count those ballots. You know, different states have different systems for how they count those early votes and the absentee ballots. To make sure I'm clear, because a lot of Democrats are going to be voting by mail and a lot of Republicans are going to be putting the preference on going in person. Exactly. And so while the uh, election day vote tally is the easiest and the quickest to be able to to get, and that's what we usually look at when we um, determine election results. And so there's a very good chance that for a couple of weeks, we may not actually know who won the election. And in certain states, there are going to be different layers of certifying the election. You know, this is going to be a very complicated process. It is a real test of our democracy and the systems that we have in place. Um, And there are lots of different scenarios. And so it's really important that we get over any kind of um, confidence issues about whether or not we feel prepared to vote and that we vote and we take our families and we catalyze our communities to do it because that is the only way that it will be clear to make sure that there is an unquestionable result around who won for president. Last question. Jess, the first time we had you on Latina to Latina, you said that your work is to help motivate people to their purpose. I think about that a lot. And I think there are a lot of people, a lot of our listeners who are ready to vote or they have already voted, um, but they have someone in their life who isn't sure that, that their vote matters. So what is the pep talk that a listener who has now listened to 30 minutes of this episode gives to the person in their life who needs that extra push out the door? Um, In 2016, I was working for Hillary Clinton. My mom is a lifelong Republican. She voted for Ted Cruz in the primary, like very Republican. Mm -hmm. And I, she was my most important persuasion project. I helped talk to millions of voters, hundreds of millions of voters is my part of my job. But the only person I really cared about was my mom. And I'll tell you what I told her. I was successful. This was a successful argument, which is you're not voting for Hillary Clinton. You're voting for me. It doesn't matter who's oh, it doesn't matter whose name is on the ballot. Your name is on the ballot and my name is on the ballot. And what you want for me in my life is to be able to live better off than you, is to be able to live freely, is to be able to have children who have a world that is better, where we don't have to work so hard for so little, where at the end of all that hard work, it leads to success and happiness. And if you vote for Donald Trump, you're not just voting for him. You're also voting for a life for me that is not as good as the one that you dreamed of. And everything you've done in my life was to make sure that I could be better off than you and that I could be better off than our parents and grandparents. And it's not about him actually has so little to do with him and it has everything to do with what we want and what we believe. And I know that we share the same values. And if you share those values, when you're casting that ballot, when you're filling in the name, you're not actually voting for him. You're voting for me. So think about my name. Amen. You have my vote. (laughs) Jess Morales, Raquetto for president. Thank you. Jess, Steph, thank thank you. you both so much.
Thanks for joining us. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lentigua-Williams and me, Alicia Menendez. Virginia Lora is our managing producer. Cedric Wilson is our producer. Carolina Rodriguez mixed this episode. Manuela Bedoya is our social media editor. We love hearing from you. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. And remember to subscribe or follow us on Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you are listening. And please, please leave a review. It is one of the fastest, easiest ways to help us grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.